0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Sean, we have a great show lineup for today, as usual. You know, we're going to start off talking about what the tips from uh, people who are winning with money. Yeah,
1: 20 of them.
0: It's Not 20. the top that's 10, lot. but the top 20. Yeah. I love it.
1: There's some pretty good ones in here. Some of them we talk about, obviously, pretty frequently. But there's some other other ones on here that'll uh, kind of be new to you if you're you're a long-time listener of us. And um, this comes from Dave Ramsey. So uh, folks that have been through his class, Financial Peace University, had some pretty good tips.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. And then we're also going to talk about the seven withdrawal pitfalls to avoid in retirement. Um, you know, this is a good article. It comes out of Morningstar and... Uh, John, we talk about withdrawals a lot. We talk about retirement. Um, we, we talked about withdrawal conundrum, how to generate, you mm-hmm. know, income in retirement when you retire. Back a few months ago, but this is a little bit different take. These are some of the common problems people run into with with withdrawals and you know how they take withdrawals. And so these are some of the things to avoid and, and how to avoid those and what to do instead. So I think this will be very, very good. Um, By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro with over 22 years providing financial planning and investment advice.
1: And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years.
0: We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. our podcast are up every Friday afternoon.
1: Yeah, you can go to our website. That's moneymd.net. And we have the podcast link up. We also have a lot of videos and uh, some calculators, some pretty good tools out there. And we have a Facebook page as well that we put a a weekly um, post up and um, try to try to have fun with that a little bit as we go through the. The course of the show and um, we also have a twitter feed as well if you're not following us money md is our signature out there
0: that's right we're all over the place out there do check us out on our website a lot of good information as john mentioned all our past shows are out there and they're categorized by topic um you know you can search or you can look by topic so um, a lot of good information out there we're going to start off today, though, with the financial fact of the week.
1: Yeah, this comes from the college board. So we're talking about college spending. And see, this is pretty interesting. Um, a child born back in 1996, um, so you know, 22 years ago, um, had just started college in the fall of 2014. And if they graduated in four years... Um, they would be graduating in May, right?
0: Yeah, this year.
1: So, not everybody graduates in four years, but if they did, um, you know, and they had put the parents had put in $135 per month when the child was born, they were able to make an 8% rate of return. They would have been able to pay the entire bill of about $80,000. Now, this excludes. Some taxes, and it's just for illustrative purposes, obviously, but $135 bucks, um, for 22 years at an 8% rate of return would have come pretty close if not paying for everything associated with college.
0: Yeah, they got it done. I like that. Um, you know, and so just to boil it down in today's terms, maybe $100, $150 a month would get it done. I don't know. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. It, it's it, a little bit more than that. Yeah, you're right. The good thing is it's an attainable number. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We don't know what college will be 18 years from now, but but it's doable. You just have to start early, and you have to start immediately. You know, when you have a child, start saving for college. Yeah. Put it in a 529 plan. Mm-hmm. It's usually our recommendation. It's all tax-free if it's used for college. And uh, get it going because yeah. you can do it.
1: And, and you got to be consistent, and you got to have it in the market, right, in the stock market, so it's going to go up and down and sideways. But, yes, it can be done um, for those people that – Think you can't pay for college? It's hard when you haven't saved up for 22 years to pay for everything. But if you can start when they're born, maybe you're a grandparent listening out there. You can set up funds as well for your grand grandkids.
0: Yeah, maybe help them get it started. Maybe maybe split it with them. Yeah, you, you go. Yeah, some Each incentive. To put in half of it or something. That's a great. Fact of the Week. Okay, and that leads up here to our first topic, the 20 tips from people who are winning with money. I like this.
1: Yeah, this comes from uh, Dave Ramsey, and it's actually, um, you know, people that have taken his financial peace class. It's called FPU. It's a nine-week um, class about money management. Uh, there are folks that have shared kind of what the lessons that they have learned, so we're going to dive right into it um, and kind of kind of share with this, and we'll kind of ad-lib a little bit as we go through this, but the first one was is Keep your savings account at a different bank than your checking account.
0: I think that's a good idea, just kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah,
1: it is, it is. And, and so this person said, you know, that way you don't see your savings every time you log into your account, and you won't be tempted to transfer it um, out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. So that's a good one. And if you have trouble with money, um, you know, and discipline associated with it, splitting it up in that case would probably be a good idea. So I like that one a lot. Exactly. Number two here on the list is use a budget to help reach your fund goals. Right. Absolutely. So budget doesn't have to be bad. So a budget, you know, it's not something that, that you have to beat someone over the head with. You can actually do some really cool things with a budget. And this person said, hey, we're going to Disney and they're going to pay cash.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm they, a big believer of budgeting vacations. Absolutely. you got to have vacations. Yeah. you got to yeah, have some reward at the end of the, you know, hard day's work. And uh, so just have it built into your budget and then you don't need to feel guilty about
1: it. That's right. Like that one.
0: I love that one. Yeah, next one here is only buy what you need and can afford. Even though something's a good deal doesn't mean you should buy it or that you need it.
1: So so saving 50% means you're spending 50%, right? Exactly. So
0: just because it's on sale doesn't mean you just go out there and start buying stuff. You know, um, you, you make sure you really need it. You got to sort it, th- filter it through that need uh, filter first. So that's a really good one. Next one here is What matters isn't how much you're allowed to borrow, but how much you have in the bank. Yeah, who cares what your FICO score is, right, Um, is what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, to me, the most impressive people, John, are the people we see who don't need credit.
1: That's right. They're paying cash. Exactly. I had a young couple that came in yesterday, and they paid $25,000 for a car
0: cash. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it really is. It really sets them up to do some other cool stuff. So another one here on the list, Eve, is don't let discouragement keep you from making a budget. A budget. There's always hope, um, this person says, when you have a plan. And that really is kind of what Dave teaches you in that FPU class is Right. have a plan, have a budget, and it it all works together over time to to help you succeed um, so don't let discouragement keep you from making a budget that's a good one another one here is go go old school and balance your checking account
0: not a lot yeah. of people do
1: that anymore. No,
0: they don't. But you know, one of the things that makes you do is it makes you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you balance it, even if you, yeah, it, okay. So it's always right at the bank, okay. <laughs> you know, they don't. They very rarely make mistakes <laughs> yes. nowadays at the bank. They can't afford that. And so I, I get the whole idea of just you know adding up your balance, you know, in your checkbook with with what's in the bank. <clears throat> but if you're not looking at it in detail once a month then then you 're not thinking about what you 're spending and balancing your checkbook makes you focus on that
1: yeah, it does it does so go old school and, and do some checking account balancing. I like that one. Uh, the next one on the list is 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 good I, I really like these positive ones. Give yourself some fun money so you 'll stay on budget and This gentleman said I was swiping my card for miscellaneous things, and it turns out that we were blowing our budget by you know two hundred bucks a month, and he just needed to issue himself an an envelope system for pocket money. So now he has money left over at the end of the month and he doesn't have to feel guilty about spending. He's kind of already categorized that. as kind of like the vacation that we talked a little bit about, but build some fun money into that budget.
0: And since he's spending cash on his fun money, he probably spends it a lot more judiciously than mm-hmm. he would be That's right. swiping that card. Right. That makes a big difference. And I know we got one on that later on the <clears throat> in the list here. Next one they hear though, is to say goodbye to all of your debts. That's right. We're talking the house, the car. We're talking about everything. Get it all paid off. Yeah, and this person says they grew up with the misconception of having car loans, house loans, student loans. It was something everybody did when they got older, right? But, you know, they don't consider themselves debt-free simply because they have their credit cards paid off. So they're working to pay off all of their debts, and that's exactly what you need to do. You need to have a, a 15-year mortgage Don't refinance it for longer and get it one and done, paid off for good. 15 years, you're done. So, you know, first house, last house. And when you buy a new house, I mean, you get a shorter mortgage. I mean, Mm -hmm. you keep amortizing over a shorter, shorter period. And so it truly is paid off in 15 years.
1: Yeah, there you go. Another one here on the list, Steve, is be patient with purchases and also yourself. This um, uh, lady said, you know, we learn to be patient while saving up cash to purchase a new appliance. Maybe go on vacation or even buying a car. And they've also spent you know, the last 20 years learning that, that debt was good. That's what society was taking them. So it took them a while to earn, learn, unlearn some of those things and replace them with new behaviors. But paying cash for things, if you can get in that position, it it changes your whole financial landscape. Exactly. It, it really does. <clears throat> Another one here on the list is um, getting on the same team with your spouse, sitting down together, going over the bills and the budgets. This person said has changed their marriage. Um, They don't have any more fights about money. They budget together, and it really gives you an opportunity to sit down and make sure that you're talking about your priorities as a couple, uh, whether you have kids or debt or you need to do emergency funds, but it really builds a better marriage.
0: Yeah, it should be a bonding experience, you know, if you both approach it with the right attitude and and you you work together on a common goal of getting things paid off and getting ahead, it should be a great bonding experience. Then you can go celebrate it with a date, you know? So that's awesome. Um next one here is to set up a savings fund for irregular expenses. And that's absolutely right. They say their son my son had just started preschool when I took the FPU class. So we were in and out of the doctor's office every other week. I now set aside a few dollars in my budget each week for co-pays and prescriptions, and that was a godsend for him. That's exactly right. You have to count on those irregular expenses. They're not unexpected. They're yeah. just irregular. They're just not car non, repairs. non-periodic. Right. So all that stuff has to be built in. You have to have $100 a month or something going into a fund that's used to pay for all those things that just come along, you know, mm-hmm. for new tires yeah, and right. fixing your heating and air and all it's that It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Eventually,
1: that's right. That's a good one. Another one here, Steve, is don't believe everything society tells you about money. Um, debt can definitely steal your future, and it's so important for kids to understand how to deal with money and uh, and debt and the consequences of their decisions. So you'll make better decisions when you know all the facts, and I think that's one thing that Dave does a great job in his FPU class and his training, he, has, he gives people the facts about debts and emergency funds and so forth. So society doesn't necessarily send you that same message. They're good with credit card debt and always having loans and so forth. So don't believe society. Another one here on the list, Steve, is having an, an emergency fund. We talk about that one all the time. But if you, you know, if you have an emergency fund for a rainy day, It'll prevent you from getting a credit card and falling into debt, and also it protects your retirement because if you can't get a credit card, then you go into your retirement balances. So that's right. make sure you have some cash on hand for emergencies because it's going to happen at some point. Something's and, going to break.
0: And that's different than planning for your non-routine expenses, your irregular expenses that I just talked about. It's got to be a separate fund. I mean, mm-hmm. that's truly for emergencies.
1: That's right. Uh, another one, this lady said, tell your money where to go. We learned the importance of, of a budget and telling the money where to go. We're now debt-free. They had $89,000 of debt, Steve, and they, they paid it off. And they did that wow. by just sitting down, doing a budget, being very intentional about where their money was going.
0: I love that, being, being proactive and yep. telling it where to go. That's a good one. Next one here is to put your long-term goals in the right order. And that is retirement has to come before your child's college. Um, you know, she really didn't think about that before she went, took her FPU class, FPU class. And that's exactly true, though. You, you got to have your tr- retirement on track before you start saving for college. There are certain priorities for your savings and retirement is it's a big one. You can't get a loan for retirement. Right. All right. So the next one here on the list is use the envelope system. We talked about that a little bit, but yeah, putting money out of your, pulling money out of your account and putting it in envelopes, um, that really is a very powerful tool, a very powerful system for reaching your goals because, you know, spending real cash and seeing it going, it really makes you think about it. It's not the same as swiping the cards, so I like that one. I think using the envelope system is is powerful. You'll spend less money if you do that.
1: Absolutely, and it kind of goes into one of the next ones is embrace the power of cash. This person said, "I bought several cars with cash, and they they saved on the purchase price. They were able to negotiate, and letting go of that cash really hurt. So they walked away from purchases um, because it wasn't um, as enticing to give that cash away for that particular thing. So, cash is king. Um, always have some on hand. That's very very good. Another one here, Steve, on the list is. Talk with your lender if you're having trouble making making payments on your debt. I mean, always work with credit card companies. Um, talk to your banks. See if they can set up a payment plan to help you to get through that debt a little bit quicker. Um, another one here is make daily decisions with the end goal in mind. The daily choices um, that you make concerning your money dictate what kind of options you're, that you're going to have. So if you can sacrifice in the beginning, you'll have huge rewards in the end of it and and we'll uh end with the i think my most uh, the one i like the best is be generous mm-hmm. the most important lesson that this person learned in, in fpu was to set yourself up to be a blessing to others whether it's by you know giving sound financial advice or maybe helping people with um, a monthly budget maybe just giving to someone anonymously um if you can get yourself healthy financially you're able to help a lot of other people and that's a great lesson for uh for that's this right. session really that's right and
0: it's one of the end goals of, of being is. in great financial shape is to be able to help others and, and yep. to be a blessing so that's a great tip as well i like that okay and that leads us up here to our question of the week
1: yeah we, we had a uh, meeting this last week um, with a gentleman that came in unfortunately his one of his uh, parents had passed away and uh, he had received an inheritance of about 700,000 and um so his question was, is, you know, what should I do with it? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, uh, in his early fifties and, um, you know, has some kids in the home and so forth. So I think one of the things that we're really good at is helping people make these kind of decisions. It's kind of like a puzzle and uh, you had this large sum of money, what do you do with it? And so he had some debt, you know, so I think paying off some of the, the car loans and student loans was, was a very easy decision And then the other piece of it, which he didn't have in place, was an emergency fund. So we we talked about putting part of that into an emergency fund. And then the rest of it, there's some different options that we're still talking about. Paying off the house is a possibility. Putting a large chunk towards retirement to kind of get that where it needs to be. So it's really specific on the individual's situation. But we're big believers in, in paying off some debt and having some emergency funds as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I would add one caveat to that. Is and I think you you before you pay off debt, you have to make sure your your budget is in line. You understand what caused the debt and you fixed it. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes having debt keeps just enough pressure on you to keep you from spending more money and creating more debt. Um and once you once you pay off the debt, if you haven't fixed the problem, then all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, you know, the clouds have cleared and it's time to go spend money again." And uh, people go out and run up the debt again. So you got to fix the problem. Yeah. Make sure you understand that. Make sure you know the debt problem, the cash flow problem has been fixed before you do that.
1: And I think the other important part here yeah. is that when we've seen this is people inherit money and, It's gone in three years. Yeah. Right. Because they're not disciplined and they go out and they spend it on frivolous things that that don't have wealth building attributes like like cars and boats and things like that. So you got to be very careful that you set a plan up front and you follow that plan.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, all right. Good question of the week. And that leads us up to our next topic. That is the seven withdrawal pitfalls to avoid in retirement. Um, again, this is out of Morningstar, Christine Benz, recent article. And um, John, you know, we've talked a lot about retirement. We talk about withdrawals. We talked about kind of the withdrawal conundrum here a few months ago and how to create income in retirement, how to set up withdrawals um, from your your plan and your, your uh, investments. But, um, you know, we see a lot of these common mistakes all the time people make in retirement because we do planning for clients all the time and many fall into the category of kind of the minor infractions, you know, rather than the major missteps, um, like underweighting foreign stocks or maybe holding a bit more cash than you need. You know, it's probably not going to make a huge impact on whether your money lasts throughout your retirement years, but there are some errors that have a lot more serious repercussions and can even jeopardize your entire retirement plan. You know, for example, holding a whole, a whole lot of company stock, you know, or maintaining a a much too conservative allocation, you know, those things can seriously affect your long-term viability of your plan. So withdrawal rates, though, are another spot where retirees' plans can go awry. Um, If, you know, a retiree takes too much money out of their portfolio at the onset of retirement, and maybe worse yet, that, that, overspending coincides with a a difficult market environment, you know, it can deal a a huge blow to your retirement plan and it may never recover. Um, Retirees, you know, may take far less than they actually uh, could as well, you know. So we kind of see the other end of the spectrum sometimes where they kind of, in the name of safety, they forego, you know, taking their best trips and the things they wanted to do in their golden years. And they run the risk then that their health fails before they really get to enjoy their money. And they end up leaving it all to their children who, you know, are probably happy about that. But uh, unfortunately, they don't get to enjoy it. Um, So, you know, there's kind of both ends of the spectrum that we're going to touch on here. But here are seven common mistakes in the realm of retirement portfolio withdrawals. Um, that we'll talk about and some tips of how to avoid those.
1: Yeah, and the first mistake, Steve, is um, not incorporating some flexibility into your withdrawal schedule. I mean, some of the most important research in retirement portfolio planning over the last decade has talked about withdrawal rates. It's very, very important. And one of the conclusions is even though the popular 4% rule assumes, um, you know, a static annual, uh, you know, withdrawal amount adjusted for inflation, retirees would be better off staying flexible with their withdrawals. So that means taking less when the markets are, are down um, and maybe taking a little bit more when the markets are up. So some flexibility is, uh, is important.
0: Yeah, that, would <clears throat> ma- that makes a huge difference. <clears throat> and, you know, the simplest way to kind of do that is to tether your withdrawal rate uh, to a fixed percentage of the portfolio <clears throat> versus a dollar amount um, and adjusting that for inflation. Uh, year in and year out so if you have a fixed percentage it's intuitively appealing but you know that may also lead to you know radical swings in your cash flow Um, so it's possible to kind of find a middle ground where you use a fixed percentage kind of as a baseline but um, you bound those withdrawals with kind of a ceiling and a floor and maybe a practical way to do this is simply to adjust your withdrawal rate within a range from maybe three to five percent of your portfolio. Um, You can look at it yearly, you know, based on how the market's done. Um, The key to this, though, is you need to build up a cushion in your bank account um, by not spending all the excess in the good years. So if you're taking four or five percent out of your portfolio and you have really good years and it's more than you need, um, hopefully it is. You need to save some of that back. If you have a big cushion, then that allows you to kind of tamp down your withdrawals during the bad years um, and live off of your excess a little bit to give you some flexibility that we're talking about. And if you have that ability to do that, like in 2008, that can make a big difference in how your portfolio recovers. So that was a good one. That's the first one. Next one here is not building in a fudge factor. You know, another drawback to employing a fixed dollar withdrawal method, um, especially if the viability of your plan revolves around a fixed dollar amount, that's too low. Um, And that is, you know, you want to count for the fact that your actual expenses are likely to vary from year to year. So, you know, try as you may to anteci- anticipate the discretionary expenses like travel and new car purchases or unplanned outlays for home repairs, medical expenses, you know, but those have a, pl- a potential to throw your plan withdrawal rate off track. So if you calibrate your anticipated spending based on your basic monthly outlay, you know, like groceries and utilities, and you leave out uh, the the kind of unplanned, non-periodic expenses like we were just talking mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. Um, then your actual spending rates is probably going to run a lot higher than you had planned. So in short, you know, a withdrawal plan that looks sustainable on paper might not actually be you know, sustainable if you don't have some cushion built in.
1: Yeah, so what to do um, would be, you know, looking at um, forecasting not just your regular budget items, but some of those irregular outlays that we talked about as well. In this case, we're talking about travel plans, new car purchases. Uh, In addition to building those um, additional items in your budget, it's also wise to add a fudge factor in case those unplanned outlays exceed your forecast and how much you add really depends, um, you know, on how specific you are on forecasting. So if you've been real specific, then you, maybe you need less of a fudge factor, but, um, you know, it's also how conservative you are, right? So if you're very conservative, um, then, then maybe, um, you know, you, 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 you take out less associated with it. So armed with that more accurate depiction of your, anticipated spending you can test the viability of the withdrawal rate so it's basically just saying you know count in so when you do your planning on your budget add some of these expenses into it
0: make sure you have all those non-periodic expenses built in and give yourself a cushion you know have an extra 10 percent built into your budget that you didn't plan for so that's good next one here on the list is not adjusting um your withdrawal rate to your time horizon um, and I would say underestimating your time horizon is probably the biggest mistake that we see because, mm-hmm. you know, folks say, oh, gee, you know, my parents only lived to age 80. So, you know, I'm 70. I only have to worry about 10 years. So I'm going to take out 6 percent. I'm not going to worry about it. I, I hear those kind of things. I don't mm-hmm. know if you do, John. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's the biggest one here. You know, they're pointing out here in this one that. You know, if you're already, you know, if you're already 75, you know, maybe you only have 15 years to plan for uh, at the top end and you could actually take out a little more than 4%, 5%. In fact, they suggest using the IRS tables, um, the RMD tables as kind of a starting point so that you ramp it up. You know, as, as long as you're willing to spend it down and you're not planning to leave all your money to kids, you can ramp it up and you can spend more later in, in your life. Um... I think in reality, I don't, that's a pretty good system. It's interesting. I don't see people wanting to spend a whole lot more the older they get, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know how practical that is. But the mistake I see the people do that kind of relates to this is they plan for too short of a time horizon. You know, they plan for, like I said, maybe 10 years because they're 70 and their parents didn't live till age 80. Mm-hmm. And they don't think about the fact that between them and their wife, it really needs to last two two life expectancies. And one of you are likely lived live to age 90. Mm-hmm. So you that's better right. plan for 20 years, even if you're already 70. Um, so I think that's the bigger risk um, rather than what they're talking about here. But it's an interesting point.
1: Yeah. Number, the uh, mistake number four is not adjusting your, um, your withdrawal rate based on your portfolio mix. So that 4% guideline assumes that you have um, kind of a, a 60-40 balance type portfolio, but there's some retirees that are more conservative. They're going to need to have a lower figure they're pulling out. Some folks are a little bit more aggressive than that. So that may allow you to, to take it out um, a little bit higher than 4%. So you got to customize that withdrawal rate based on your own situation.
0: Yeah. And the next one here, uh, John, is not factoring in the role of taxes, you know, and this is very, very common. We see this all the time. People kind of forget about taxes. Taxes are a big deal. You know, it's like 20 percent. So, you know, if you have an eight hundred thousand dollar portfolio, you know, four percent would be thirty two thousand. Well, that might be great. But, you know, after taxes, it's only going to be about twenty six thousand. So you have to factor in taxes. Um, so be conservative, plan on maybe 20 percent taxes and get some help. You know, uh, folks like us, you know, we can help you figure out how to take advantage of maybe the new low 12 percent tax rate. Mm-hmm. You can uh, maybe you can draw some extra out to keep you in the in the top of that 12 percent tax rate. And if you don't spend it, you can build that up in an after tax account. But you want to take advantage of those lower tax rates as well. So that was mistake five. Next one here is. Staying kind of yielded to your portfolio's income payout. We do see this from time to time where folks are kind of stuck to try to, to taking uh, all the income out of their portfolio, but then also taking 4% of the principal. Um, You can't do that. 4% or 5%, whatever the rate is we, we lock into that has to be the total that you take out. It's not based on the income your portfolio produces, it's the total is a total percentage of your total portfolio.
1: Yeah. Part of that 4% is made up of dividends and capital gains and interest and so forth. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. The last one here is, um, not getting help. That's true. Right? This yeah. is, this is not easy. This is not comp. I mean, this is complicated, You start dealing in taxes and, and, um, you know, trying to get the right withdrawal rate. You you need to, in most cases, most people need some type of guidance in this area.
0: Yeah, that's right. When you start combining the complication of, you know, how to take money out and what to take out of your portfolio making it last, you combine that with pensions and Social Security and all those decisions, it does get very complicated very quickly. So we would certainly recommend you get some help and, uh, you know, we'd be happy to sit down with you. And talk about the withdrawal strategy as well, but you you want to get help from somebody that's professional and technical and understands all the tax rules and everything Mm. that applies, so... All right, good topic. And that leads us up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week.
1: Yeah, there's a uh, a new app, and I say new. It started back in 2009. It's called Venmo, V-E-N-M-O, mm. and it's an easy way to transfer money between individuals. So there were two college students back in 2009 that started this up. And um, so you're going out to dinner, and you know there's a hundred dollar tab, and each each couple had fifty dollars. You can Venmo it right there on the spot and send yep. fifty dollars to the other person's account, and that's linked into your checking account. So this is actually owned by PayPal.
0: Yeah, they right? bought it. Right, they
1: did. They bought they bought it. And um, last year there were over thirty billion dollars in transfers. So it's wow. being used quite a bit.
0: Yeah, and it's free, you know, and it's like PayPal. I think if you if you send money to your friends, if you're just sending money to your friends, it's free, and uh, it's a little more socially savvy with mm-hmm. the social media thing than I think PayPal is, but uh, does the same thing. It's a very easy way to send money immediately, and uh, so yeah, use it when you're sending money to to friends, or even when you're you know paying for things. You sure. can you can use Venmo, and it's, it works on your on your iPhone as well. Yep. So. Good prescription of the week. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.